0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Here comes Paul, who wants
1: us to understand that living a holy life is not achieved by self-effort or by trying to keep the law. It's achieved by responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There you have it. Holy living is not achieved by doing, but by being. Victory in Christ comes by daily cooperation with the Holy Spirit who lives within you.
0: Our world today likes to feed us lies about what will save us. We're taught that with some hard work and effort, we can get through anything we set our minds to. Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that no matter how successful or self-sufficient you are, God's plans will always be best. There is nothing that you need to fix on your own. Instead, simply surrender your heart to the Lord and be forever set free. Stop wasting your time with the lies of this world and invest in eternity. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Flesh and the Spirit.
1: I want you to consider for a minute that in Scripture we find that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Are continuously found to be paired off against the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is really intriguing to me. Watch this. First, God the Father and the world are diametrically opposed to each other. Do you realize that? Now, let me be clear about something. When I say the world, I don't mean the beautiful creation, the world that I love. I love God's creation. I don't worship it, but I'm very thankful for it. I love all the creatures. The birds, the critters, the creeping, crawling things, the trees, the stars, the, I I love what God made. I am amazed at what God made, but when we say the world, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the world system behind which is the devil, the world system that is guided by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We're talking about a a wicked world system that is fueled by the enemy of our soul. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the world. Now, John went so far as to tell us, if any man love what, everybody? If any man love that wicked flesh-driven system, the love of the Father is not in him. There's no way you can be saved and love this flesh-driven, wicked, godless, Christ-rejecting world system. No way. It vexes me every day. I understand what it says about Lot. Lot's soul was vexed daily by the filthy manner of life of the men of Sodom. Do you know that it said that? We got a case in the no-nods tonight. Y'all, let's try this. Now look what it says. For all that is in the world, now there's a little ellipsis there, but I can fill it in. All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, which means I don't need God, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Now, James was even stronger on this point. Watch this. He says, he's talking to church people. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with that wicked world system makes you an enemy of God? Woo, James, punch, punch. Now I want that to sink in for a minute. John said, don't love that world that wicked world system. Don't love it. If you love it, you're not the friend of God, or you're not, don't have the love of God in you. But here James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, he's talking about people who knew the Lord, but they were committing spiritual adultery by loving the world more than Christ. He says, don't you know friendship with this world makes you the enemy of God? And does that tell us about God? God and the world are at odds. God and that wicked world system that is fueled by the devil are at odds. Do you see that? Okay, good. Now, I say it again. Look what he says, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So catch this church, the Father and the world are totally opposed to each other. You love the Father, you're not gonna love that world system. If you love that world system, you really can't walk with the Father. In the same way, Jesus, the Son of God, is the special adversary of the devil. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we find Satan constantly trying to prevent the birth of Christ. Through genocide of the Jewish race, many times in the Old Testament, the devil tried to wipe out the whole Jewish race to stop the arrival of Messiah. Now, he did this by also did this by corrupting the Hebrew people and the Davidic lineage that it almost needed to be destroyed. It got yay close several times in the Old Testament, where the Hebrew race would have been wiped out, and therefore Messiah, the Bruiser of Satan's head, would never have arrived. God had predicted this adversarial relationship between Christ and the devil in Genesis three fifteen. And I consider Genesis 3.15, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. He says to the devil, when he is judging Adam and Eve, he appears also to the devil and pronounces judgment on him. And part of it was this, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman, he said to Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. That means a death blow. And you will bruise his heel, which Satan did to Jesus on the cross when the nail went through it. God is telling the devil, someone's coming down the line. And when he's born, when he arrives, he's gonna deal a death blow to you. And you're gonna end up bruising his heel. Even in the New Testament, Satan tried to have the baby Jesus murdered at Nazareth through the wicked edict of Herod. What was the devil after using old Herod? Herod. He was out to stop Jesus from growing up. He was trying to kill the Messiah before he had a chance to grow and get anointed and go out and do his ministry. And so he does with you and I. Satan tries to take you out. I call it the devil's last stand. You show me somebody that comes to Jesus and you watch. It won't be long before there is a major attack against that person. And what are they trying to do? What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to take them out before they have a chance to grow. He wants to take them out and stop them before they mature and become a danger to his kingdom. Same devil. Now, John reveals that the sole purpose of the son of God was, read it with me now, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. So God is in conflict with the world. Jesus in conflict with the devil the devil. But guess what? Along the same line, the Holy Spirit is always revealed as the special adversary of our flesh. We see this fact as far back as the flood. God said in the flood, quote, and what a, what a word this was. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive. What does he say the spirit of God's doing? Striving with who? Man, for he is also what? So there you have the spirit striving with flesh all the way back in the antediluvian world before the flood ever came and wiped out the planet. The spirit was striving with the flesh. And I'm gonna tell you something, church. The day's gonna come sooner than later where the last person's gonna get saved. The last gospel message is gonna be preached. And God is gonna say, I'm no longer gonna strive With man, The rapture is going to happen and the tribulation is going to be brought in and it's going to be hell on earth. I believe God's reaching that place again because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. How it was in the days of Noah, God said, I'm not going to strive with flesh much longer. 120 years from this statement, the flood fell in explaining to Nicodemus the need for the new birth, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is what? And that which is born of the spirit is? Amen. Paul wrote, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. So you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. The spirit is in you. If, You are his. Amen. Amen. And so we see God, the father at war with the world, God, the son at war with the devil and God, the Holy Spirit at war with the flesh. So we come back to our text. Look at it. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. It's like I told you what liberty is. Liberty is not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the power to do what you ought. It's the power to do what you should. And so we've got this battle going on. You know, this week, I don't know what it is. I guess when you're a pastor, this happens, but um, several people gave us cake. I'm serious. And I and I mean real mouth watering, calorie-infested, cake, several different kinds that all said, they all spoke, every one of them, you really have to at least try me. After all, they made it in love and they're going to ask you if you tried me you And so I tried I did I tried some I did And but it got to a point where I realized I should stop You know that feeling And 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 I knew God was saying to me whoa there bubba Back off You don't have to eat all of it, but Lord, they made it in love. And and, and I know this sounds silly, but I really did. I had a moment where I had to say, I yield to the Holy Ghost and walked away and left it sitting there calling to me as I walked out the door. I thought of that when I read the last part of this so that you are not to do whatever your flesh wants. And it's the same with all of life. I don't care what your weakness is, the Holy Spirit will say to you, lay it down. The flesh will say, pick it up. And you have a choice. And when you say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you, he's right there to help you to walk away, shut the door and leave it. That's Christianity. There it is. So there is to be a commitment to walking in the spirit. Now read verse 18 with me. But if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law. Once again, here comes Paul who wants us to understand that living a holy life is not achieved by self-effort or by trying to keep the law. It's achieved by responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There you have it. Holy living is not achieved by doing, but by being. Victory in Christ comes by daily cooperation with the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And let me tell you something about him. The more you obey him, the easier you will hear him. The more you quickly say yes, the more sensitive you will be to his next instruction, his next prompting, his next guidance. And when you say no and resist him, your ears become dull and you become very attuned to your flesh instead of the Spirit of God living in you not where you want to be. Now next comes one of those lists Paul is so good at. He piles up word after word to expose the evil nature of man for what it is. Now let me tell you the truth tonight, church, about man who has not been saved. You know the book, and I quote this book pretty often, I'm okay, you're okay. It's not true. Man without God is not okay. And I'm gonna go a little step further and some of you aren't gonna like this because it's not politically correct, but I hate political correctness because it makes you not tell the truth. It muzzles you. And I think it's killing our country, but that's another story. Um, Man unsaved can be a monster. Man unsaved is the enemy of God. Man unsaved is in the depths of sin. Man unsaved is headed straight for hell if the blood of Christ does not cover his lost soul. He's about to tell us the truth about you and me. Now, following this list, he's gonna show us the results of walking in the spirit. We won't get there tonight, but I wanna look at the results of the flesh. Now, he's gonna name 17 works of the flesh. He classifies them as the, as I just said, the works of the flesh walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's talking about the drive to do it. But the works of the flesh are the actual actions that are the result of the lust of the flesh. And they can be categorized in three ways. Here we go. Are you all ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you really sure? First, there are sexual sins. Now look what he says in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident, which are for were, uh, sexual sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Now, notice that he says, all of these sins are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. And that is, they are open, they are obvious, and they are well-known. Now, as I read these and we look at these, I want you to understand that our culture right now is telling us the exact opposite of what we're about to read. Our culture is telling us that if we believe what I'm about to show you, then we are bigoted, narrow-minded, ignorant, unschooled, not with it, not enlightened. You need to know that the word of God right here stands full face against the teaching of our current culture that's why for some of you, when I go into it, you're going to be going, huh, huh, I don't know if I agree with that because that's not what I saw in Good Morning America. <laughs> so here we go. The first thing in the list is adultery. We know what adultery is. It's sex between a married person and someone to whom they aren't married. That's simple. We know that, right? Next comes fornication. Now the Greek word used for fornication is pornea, from which we get the English word, guess what? Pornography, pornea, fornication, Greek word pornea. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. The only legitimate sexual activity identified in Scripture is that between a husband and wife. Scripture teaches. Go into any gosh, you can go all the way down to elementary school now, where they're teaching children to have sex. You think I'm kidding? Do you know that a preschool was shut down in California a couple of weeks ago because five and six-year-olds were having sex? Do you know that? Absolutely true. Where'd they get that? It is a culture that is spiraling by the hour into the abyss. You know why? Because we've thrown the word of God out. And when you throw the word of God out, You open a very, very dark and dangerous door. So let's look at this now. Is God a killjoy? Is God not want people to have fun? Does God, I mean, is he just kind of a party pooper? Does he not understand us that we can't help it? No. Do you know that when the sexual revolution began in the 1960s, there were two STDs. I think they were syphilis and gonorrhea. There were two. You know that now there are 36 goodies that you will encounter that are out there lurking, waiting for those who don't obey the scriptures and say, well, you know what? You only live once. I'm going to go live the way my flesh wants me to. And they don't yield to the promptings of the spirit. As children of God. Now, God never commands something but what is for our protection. I promise you, He doesn't. So, God says legitimate sexual activities between a husband and wife. So, the word pornea is, is not just for male female sex before marriage, but pornea is used for general, all encompassing. Sexual activity outside of God's will, and it includes sex between unmarried people, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and so on. Pornea is the all-encompassing word used for sexual sin. So catch this now. God says, give your body to me. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, glorify God in your body because you were bought with a price. You are, you are owned by Christ. So listen, if, if, if all that you've got is, well, I just need to say no, you don't have enough understanding. You need to understand the way God looks at it. God looks at it like this. I own you. You are my precious possession. And so I want you to exercise self-control when it comes to sexual sin. Now, is he out there with furrowed brow and steam coming out his ears and just can't wait for somebody to go off into sexual sin so he can throw some disease on them? No. The disease is always the result of breaking natural law. It's, it's breaking barrier. Like, boy, am I going in here. But there's nothing natural about homosexuality. Now, am I a bigot for saying that? No. I'm not a bigot for saying that. Am I a hater for saying that? No. Let me ask you a question. If you smoked and I came up to you and said, you know, I love you. And, and can I just please encourage you to quit smoking? Am I a hater? Am I a Nicophobe? Because I say, don't smoke. Does that make me a Nicophobe? I have a dread fear of nicotine. No. How have we been so brainwashed that we can't simply communicate that we think something is wrong without being labeled a hater or a bigot? If I love you, I I will talk to you about that smoking habit. Say, please stop, stop. I'll pay you to stop. I'll buy you Nick-A-Gum or whatever the stuff is that you chew. I'll get you the patch. And the only reason I'm talking to you that way is because I love you and I don't wanna see you get lung cancer and die. And yet, you can talk to somebody about a sexually destructive lifestyle and you're a bigot and you're a hater. I reject that. I reject that whole politically correct notion. That is not true. If I don't love you, I will say nothing while you self-destruct. So God says, your body is mine. Glorify me in your body. Now the next word is uncleanness. Now this time the word used is akatharsia. We get cathartic from that, which means impurity. Now look at akatharsia, you see that word? See the A in front of it? Do you see the A in front of it? In front of akatharsia? All right, in front of kath- katharsia. An A is always put to, to make something a negative in the Greek language. So cathartic means to purify so if it's acathartic it means impure to make you impure so when he says uncleanness it is it means impurity it suggests those things that make a person unfit to approach god those things that stain taint or defile a person it points to a general state of mental impurity Now Paul addresses this very thing in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Listen what he says. Quote, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile. He names two things, our body and our spirit.
0: Have you ever wondered if God is really there for you? Have you ever doubted your faith after continually going through the same struggles with no improvement? today, Pastor Jeff explained that if you put your trust in God, your faith is genuine and He will never abandon you. Even when it feels like nothing is changing for the better, God is right there with you. Follow God with your whole heart and be comforted that He will never leave your side. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. As Christians, it's easy to lose sight of what the Bible should truly mean to us. In his next message, Pastor Jeff reminds us that we need to treat the Bible as if it's a living organism, working through us just as Jesus does. Don't compromise and let the world tell you it's just some old book that doesn't apply to today's culture. Study His Word, take it to heart, and never lose the joy of letting it bear fruit in your life. God's Word will always be true. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians. Next time on Hardwired.